Hello and welcome to the Startup Operator Podcast. I'm Roshan Karyapa. We have Jen Abel with us today, the co-founder of Jellyfish that helps early stage SaaS founders with sales and go-to-market. We spoke to Jen sometime last year. Uh, it was a B2B sales masterclass that was very popular with our listeners. On this podcast, we're going to be doing something different. Jen's tweets are really interesting and I always have this urge to understand more. So I thought we could dig a little deeper in a freewheeling conversation. So again, if you haven't listened to the earlier podcast, uh, you definitely should. It's a great primer for everything you'll hear today. Uh, anyway, here goes. Hey, Jen, welcome back. Uh, great to talk to you again. It's great to be here. Yeah. So for those of us, uh, uh, for those who are listening, who may not know you uh, from the earlier episode, could you give a little bit of a background, uh, your background in sales, your work right now and so on? Sure. Um, so I'm Jen. I'm one of the co-founders at Jellyfish. Jellyfish is probably about six years old, completely right now dedicated to supporting the Indian SaaS ecosystem, um, specifically helping founders go through the zero to one stage here in the U.S. market. I've always kind of been that first early stage sales hire and realized there's a massive gap in folks that are skilled and understand the challenges and the opportunities in that zero to one milestone. So we've built a business around it. So really excited awesome. to be here again with you and and dive deeper into those topics. Awesome. Yeah, I think uh, zero to one is such a specialized journey, right? I mean, um, I think, you know, sales at a big company doesn't really translate well, especially in this stage, right? And uh, there are really so many nuances that we could dig uh, deeper into. So this conversation, I think we'll split it into three themes, right? So the first would be on founders, second on customers, uh, and third on salespeople, right? In that order. So the first section, right, on founders, I mean, there's just so many tweets uh, that I could go into, but uh, let me start with this. So you said most startup failure is due to the founders focusing too much on product slash tech and too late on sales. What does this mean? Yeah, I think it was CB Insights that came out with the number one reasons why startups fail. And the number one, if not number two reason is no market need. To me, that is absolutely completely avoidable. What I mentioned in that piece of focusing too much on the, the, tech, the tech and the product, what we mean is there's such a long delay or you know, a long period of time that goes by where they're not learning or validating with customers and they're more or less building in a vacuum. And I don't believe that that is not because they don't know better, right? I think founders are extremely bright, extremely smart. They know the importance of talking to customers. I think we always over-index to where we're comfortable. And most founders are unfortunately allergic to sales. So they like to stay on the, the product side because that's where their passion and mostly their, their skills and capabilities lie. Yeah. I think it, it also, it also means that you have to pick the right problem to solve, right? And, uh, that problem is something that you have to really iterate and get towards, uh, I feel like, uh, the, the product and the tech part is fungible in some sense. Uh, right. I mean, you really have to seek the right problem. Uh, and then build for that problem, right? That's a great tweet, by the way. The product and the tech is fungible. I might use that. <laughs> I'll quote you, but I might use that. I mean, you're spot on. You know, there's a lots of problems out there that specifically on the B2B side of things that that companies are feeling, right? Just because it's a problem doesn't mean it's the problem, right? And I recently was just speaking to someone about this. There's a bit of buyer maturity. People misconceive market maturity with buyer maturity, right? Buyer maturity is the individual is actively seeking to solve this today, right? That's one layer. The second layer is they might be uh, aware of the problem, but not motivated to solve today, right? So there's that spectrum of like acute pain versus dull pain. And then there's other layers where they're feeling symptoms, but not even know what the problem is. 
And people go out and, you know, go through a sales motion of, hey, look what we built. Would you use this? And sometimes majority of those people aren't even actively seeking a solution yet. So I think there's this big fumble that happens where the founders either way over index on sales or way over index on product and text. And there's a there's obviously a balance, right? And our belief at Jellyfish is you have to earn the right to sell by deeply understanding the problem and the pain better than the customer can, right? And articulating that because that's how trust gets built. Yeah, no, that's such a great point. Uh, earn the right to sell, right? Exactly. Yeah, we spoke about it in, a, in the last podcast as well, this whole nice to have versus need to have. And, and I think the key difference there is uh, not why us, it's why now, because it isn't just enough for you to sell your features or workflows or whatever it is uh, that can be, uh, you know, pretty great for your customers. It's also, you have to make the case as to why someone has to shift today, right? Uh, why should they spend money today? Because oftentimes, especially when you're talking to large enterprises, the biggest problem is inertia, right? I mean, the biggest problem is change management. Nobody really wants to get, you know, seven people in a room and uh, have a bunch of things to do, right? I mean, they're all busy in their lives and there's often no real incentive for, for them to really move things around. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and to that point, that, uh, that point, that point of battling status quo and creating momentum and inertia, mo that's where most buyers are, right? Like, you know, if you're going outbound, an inbound lead is one thing. An inbound lead is typically I'm actively looking to solve. But like, that's still not the largest part of the market, right? The largest part of the market is aware of the problem, but it's not necessarily priority one, two, or three on their list. And to your point, going through, I mean, a lot of these products that people buy require process change, require integration, require more than just them involved in, in it, require retraining. I mean, it's still a significant heavy lift. While it might be easier to buy SaaS, it doesn't mean it's easier to implement it, right? It might be easier than it's been, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but it still requires buy-in, alignment, all of those pieces. So in order to create that inertia, it, you're right. And it's all about unlocking that urgency to get them to want to change. And urgency, you know, if you want to define what does that really mean from a quantitative perspective, it's usually the frequency at which that problem continues to arise. Is it a daily problem, a monthly problem, or the intensity? Is a million, two million, three million dollars at risk if we don't solve it today? And and helping to educate them. They don't sometimes even know the root cause. So you're, I, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of creating that momentum and inertia. Um, to get people to, to, to change. Yeah, I think a lot of founders miss that, early stage founders, right? When I talk to them because they have these, uh, you know, decks and one pages and so on saying that, you know, why their product is awesome and why this new way is something that's like a real no-brainer and people should adopt, right? But they don't really make the case for why someone should buy all of that and do it today, right? Yeah. Because, uh, and not three years from now, right? Yeah. All right, moving on to tweet number two. You said, startup founders, pre-product market fit, do it. Yep. Post-product market fit, delegated, right? Yep. Could you explain that? Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, the early stages where there's a lot of assumptions, um, not much has been validated, to be reliant on other people beyond, you know, the founding team, right, to figure this out is the quickest way to fail, right? This has to be on the founders, if not, you know, the close founder circle to validate understand the market need, understand that the market is eager for this. Um, and until you get to product market fit, everything is still an assumption. In most cases, 
a lot, large part of it. Like, who are we going after? How are we going after them? What does good look like? And the founder's the only one that has that social cred in the market to sell that vision and value and, and build towards it and keep that super tight feedback loop to make sure that the learnings from the market also get played back into the product side of things. And I don't think a non-founder is great at following a process. They are terrible at navigating ambiguity, right? So if the founder can't pave the path first, I do not believe there's many people out there. I'm sure there's a few. There's not many people out there that will be able to pave that path for the founder. So when we say do it, make sure you can do it yourself first and prove that it can be done and then delegate it as fast as possible. Don't be the bottleneck that's slowing the growth down. Yeah. No, and pretty much everything else is malleable as well, right? And the founder has the greatest perspective on that, what they can really change. And I also believe that SaaS products are built on some special insight, right? That the founder has encountered, has kind of realized. And so they're very close to the problem. and. Really, I I haven't seen anyone kind of get that perspective instantly at the early stage, at least. And um, in the zero to one, there's really nothing that you can replicate. If you don't have your first five or 10 customers, there's really no template that a VP of sales can come and do this process or draw cadence and so on and so forth. Yeah. You, you know, it's so interesting you said you say that in our first two years at, at Jellyfish, we were supporting a VP of sales with US expansion. And why we are hesitant to to do that moving forward versus a founder is the VP of sales wants to show that everything's doing going great right they're they're quick to blame the product and they're at best the most optimistic people when reality things aren't really qualified yet more importantly a VP of sales you know now creates another layer between you and the fa- you and the customer and in those early days this the tighter the feedback loop the more you're increasing your odds of success so I always say like, why would you put someone between you and the customer when this is still invalidated, right? The founders only, they're going to be the only few and far between folks to be able to sell that vision and value to, to people that don't really know who they are. And there's not much brand equity here yet. Yeah. And in the zero to one sales is not just a sales problem, right? Sales is an everything problem. It's a product problem. It's a uh, it's a delivery problem. It's it's everything, right? Uh, yeah. Because it informs your your strategy on a bunch of different things, which uh, I don't think you know a VP of sales or anyone can really get that, right? So you have another tweet out, which is you know sort of on the same lines, which is you hire a VP of sales to scale. You don't hire them to validate. Founders, initial customer traction is your job, right? That kind of ties into what we're saying. Yep, it sure does. And you know, a VP, a good VP of sales, you're hiring them because they have a swath of folks that can go underneath them to get the job done, right? They they are there to build out the team, to figure out the scale, to manage the predictability. A VP of sales, a true VP of sales, is going to want to see that the process has been done and the traction has been made. Any VP of sales that's willing to join a company that early without any of that, buyer beware first. And second of all, that VP of sales, right? They're they're most of them haven't been in the weeds, right? They're out there managing a team of people, you know, motivating, making sure people are on track, onboarding, training, all of those wonderful things that need to happen at the growth stage. But in that zero to one stage, that is way too that those those competencies and those skills are not necessary yet. So yeah, bring a VP a VP of sales doesn't necessarily help you sell better, right? They're the ones that are going to be the team to help manage and drive once that repeatability has been unpacked yeah and um, i think people have also this misconception that vps of sales pretty much do the same thing everywhere 
right uh, which yeah. cannot be more different right i mean exactly. even at a mature startup i think a vp of sales is fairly different you know their kra is completely different compared to a zero to one sales uh, journey right so yeah i mean that uh, i think it's perhaps the number one wrong hire that uh, you know any any founder makes right which is the yeah. whole vp of sales uh, yeah. journey and and most vps of sales their maturity in the businesses are typically going to be later stage right because most people don't hire vp of sales to later stage so to think that a vp of sales is going to help you navigate ambiguity at 0 to 1 there's probably a lot of blind spots for them too yeah no and it's also i mean i've seen this as well uh, you know in some companies that typically it's like a culture change as well right because the vp of sales is not going to just come in by themselves i mean they're going to bring a, another couple of sales people right now that's three people that you have to manage instead of one right yeah. and three people who don't know your product like cold right yep. so yeah i mean a lot of complications before you can actually get started yeah and the mental model is don't bring on a vp of sales until the until series b or that 3 million to 10 million um in arr yeah All right the fourth tweet is 1x founders build a product in search of a problem 2x founders identify a problem in search of a product problem led versus product led well good idea yeah ahead. just to dissect what that means cuz i i think i wrote in shorthand which probably might be confusing to some typically first time founders fall in love with the product right they're super passionate they haven't experienced this before so they don't know the missteps just yet and they're kind of like that term uh, a hammer searching for a nail right so they build this product it's their baby they've overinvested in it both time money and resources and now they're out with their product in hand kind of running around being like okay who has a problem that this can fix right which it is super hard to build a product when you don't know who your end customer is So now you're like, well how real or how valuable is that product too? And the longer you wait to bring this out and you know as Steve Blank says get out of the building, the the more you're increasing the odds of failure. Versus a 2x founder knows that distribution and the go to market is truly everything right now. And they know the importance of validating that problem and then building a product specific to that, right? Where they're only increasing their odds because they know exactly what this person cares about, how much they're willing to spend on it, what the urgency is, who their early adopters are going to be, right? It's much better to build a product with those insights in mind versus build a product in a room or in a garage and then go out and hunt for people that are feeling the problem. In most cases, there is a bit of shock when they realize that the problem the market cares about is one or two, you know, steps removed from what they've built. and then they have to decide do they go back and rebuild or are they now pigeonholed to a very small unsustainable market yeah so we've had uh, i think you know 150 plus founders on the podcast and uh, you know nobody is selling the first version of their product right now right i mean it's it's so different it's remarkably different and so i mean that kind of informs you right you don't go to the market with a product i mean you rather you seek the problem and then you build around it so I I was just going to say the other thing too is like that term product market fit. I think there's this misconception on the word pivot as it retains the product market fit, right? It is unsustainable to build a product, to go back out to the market, rebuild the product, go back out to the market, right? The the term pivot actually came from finding a market that is most desperate, right? So because your product is actually the most flexible part, you can build anything. Right? The market is the most fixed part. So to build the fixed part or sorry to build the variable and then go find the fix you always want to start with the fixed end and then build the variable to fit it right yeah that's absolutely right so if you were to summarize your advice to founders on early stage sales right uh, what would those two or three takeaways be yeah do not delegate it this is your job 
zero to one, and now just to give people a little bit of encouragement, zero to one takes twice as long to unlock than one to 10. So stick with it. It will compound on top of each other. You will, you've learned the hardest parts. You now will have case studies, references, assuming you can now deliver on what you've promised and people are going to start to talk about it. So zero to one is the hardest bear with it. No, it's probably going to take twice as long as you think it's going to take. The second piece is go out. You don't need a product to talk to customers right? You can get in the room with people. People always want to talk about their problems. People love venting. People love complaining. Use that, use that natural behavior to your advantage, right? And, and use that to inform the product. We've directly supported founders who have actually sold a pilot before the product was built because the market was that desperate. And third most, do not put someone between you and your customer in the zero to one stage. You need to have the direct tie there. That means don't go and have channel partners. Don't go and hire a VP of sales. Keep that keep that um, feedback loop as super tight as possible. The tighter the feedback loop, the faster you're going to get to revenue. Right. But do you also think that, you know, let's say inside sales as a function, right? I mean, that they could perhaps use an outsourced inside sales uh, agency or someone to at least set up these meetings, because I understand, you know, it must be very difficult to have these conversations in the first place, right? Yep, it is. The answer is yes, but... Make sure you know specifically who you want to go after. Make sure you know specifically what those people care about. Because if you start to hand over something that's invalidated, it's only going to scale your problems. You're going to collect a lot of noise and you're not going to know which way to go, right? Use rejection as a way to redirect you to the pulse. And unfortunately, most most agencies out there, at least the ones I've seen, they're going to put a junior team on it and then they're just going to try and scale whatever whatever you give them. Um, in reality, there is nothing to scale yet. So um, just be very worried of outsourcing it. Um, I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying just be figure out the guardrails they're going to put up to make sure that they're doing this right as well. Right. So before we get to market, right, I mean, what are some other things that uh, founders can hedge on? You know, I mean, uh, are there specific markets they should focus on? Are there specific problems that are better to solve than the others? Are there specific, you know, designations or titles they should talk to, you know, in your experience of having worked with, you know, multiple startups and so on, right? What are some thumb rules on all of these things? Yeah. Uh, A few thumb rules that we use is to really understand the maturity of the businesses you're going after or want to learn from. Diving deep into certain roles to understand, do they have those roles in their organization? How are those roles positioned? Because that really will help you determine where they are in the maturity perspective. For example, there's a a role called legal ops, right? Legal ops plays a large role in building out the tech infrastructure um, and improving the speed to which the legal teams move. People with legal ops are probably prioritizing those types of behaviors and those types of Uh, processes versus in other companies that don't have that title, maybe because they're not feeling the pain, maybe because it's not on the priority list, right? So use roles in companies as a proxy to determine where folks sit on the maturity and understanding their buyer maturity a bit. Also, when you go out to talk to, say you go out to talk to 10 to 15 people in your ICP, if the majority of them are feeling the problem, but not motivated to solve today, you have two things you can look at. You can look at, do you have the runway to sustain a longer sales cycle, knowing that that's probably going to take six to 12 months to get them you know, up the awareness ladder? Or two, is that truly the right market you should be going after? Right? We constantly, 80% of most founders we support fall into that category of aware of the problem, not motivated to solve today. 
So then how do you quickly accelerate them up that awareness ladder? And that's all education led. That's about helping them understand their problems better than they do today. Right. And people race to demo and race to the product to try and solve for that. That's actually going to deter them even more. Right. So really understand where your buyers are on the maturity perspective. If they're actively seeking a solution, that's great. Yes, you can be more product-led because they already know their problems and they're aware of why they need to solve it today. Anyone underneath that, do not lead with the product. Do not lead with a demo. Help them understand how painful that problem is internally by you know, raising questions regarding frequency or intensity. And the other third piece too, when dealing with the market, if they've tried to historically solve for it before, that is a leading indicator that it is a priority and a massive pain. If they've never tried to solve for this and they have really no way of figuring out what's the best solution to solving this, you, you got to question how long of a sales cycle that's going to be. So historics are predicated on who's going to be an early adopter and to really dig and spend the time there, right? Because the, the quote is, you know, they must have tried to solve this before if it's that painful, right? Now, the question is, has it been successful or unsuccessful? Yeah. No, so this veteran SaaS person that I know used to always tell me that software doesn't engineer behavioral change, right? It just complements it. And uh, yeah, I mean, you could be pioneering a, a brand new way of doing something, but uh, rest assured, you know, if that's important enough, somebody has tried to do something about it. And just from my own experience, I feel that tying it to a business outcome is super important, right? Okay. Whatever it is that you're doing, yep. because... Um, really, I mean, you can sell com convenience and you can sell collaboration and all of those things, right? But it takes a while for a Slack to become a Slack, right? And there are yeah. very, very few of those, right? So yeah. so tying it to a business outcome, talking to a business decision maker is always better, uh, in my opinion, rather than talking to, let's say, digital and innovation folks or uh, product yeah. and tech folks, right? Because, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, then, then, you know, I mean, what happens typically with digital and innovation folks is, they now have to take your solution and sell it to the team internally. And, and that can be a whole other thing, right? I mean, it's, it's that hammer in search of a nail thing uh, yep. that you mentioned earlier. It's, it's that, basically. Yep. You're spot on. And that, they're also one step removed away from the person feeling the problem the most. And this is the beauty of the B2B market and why I get so excited about it. Buyers don't buy randomly, right? Yeah, it's is, a process. It's, it, that's exactly it. And it's a machine. There is logic behind it. You can't just willy-nilly, even product like growth, you can't just willy-nilly throw something on your corporate card and not be able to back it up, right? So that's why I love the B2B market so much is there are, there are breadcrumbs to lead you to the pulse. It's just figuring out, and it's earned, right? You have to earn the uh, insights to figure out where those breadcrumbs are going. But these buyers don't buy randomly, to, your, to exactly to your point. Um, so yeah. just dive I in think, there. I think for... Yeah, for, for most people, I think who aren't, you know, who don't have a sales background, right? They kind of think of sales as, hey, I have to kind of sock it to someone or, you know, I have to kind of tempt that person to, you know, saying yes, right? Yeah. But B2B sales just doesn't work that way. I mean, B2B sales is a process. People want to procure things. I mean, people want to solve problems for themselves. You just have to figure the right problem and also show up with the best, uh, you know, intentions and best, best product, right, out there. So, yeah, couldn't agree more. So, it is. Very much a science, as much as it is an art. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, then don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite platform and share this episode with all of your fellow startup operators. Also follow the startup operator on LinkedIn and Twitter for more updates. Stay safe, take care and see you soon on a brand new episode of the startup operator.